This episode does deal with some pretty graphic description of assault and abuse, so please use discretion when listening to this episode. Thank you. And uh, probably see, uh, I'll be up in heaven while y'all rotting in hell. I know I was raped. You weren't nothing but a bunch of scum. Therefore, these proceedings are now Putting completed. Putting somebody who was raped right, to death or it'll be a Hey, everybody. Hello, hello. So if you weren't able to guess based on that lovely audio clip that we played for you at the beginning this week's episode is on eileen warnos the damsel of death monster terms that are used to describe the subject of this week's episode eileen carol Pittman, better known as eileen warnos eileen warnos was born february 29th leap year 1956 to a 16-year-old Diane Warnos and an 18-year-old Leo Dale Pittman. Her mother and father were married when they were only 14 and 16 years old. Jesus, what? Yes. Two months before her birth, her parents divorced and her father was incarcerated. So we're already off to a great start. Yeah, a 15-year-old <sighs> recently yep. divorced mother. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this great. is great. <laughs> this is this is ramping up to really set her up for success here. Uh, both Eileen and her brother lived with their mother following the divorce. However, shortly before Eileen's fourth birthday, her mother completely abandoned her and her brother, and they were legally adopted by their alcoholic maternal grandparents, Lori and Britta Warnos. There are several accusations that exist that her grandfather would often sexually assault her and then facilitate her abuse with some of his accomplices. And many of the surrounding community, like many members of the surrounding community, believe that her grandfather may have even fathered Eileen after assaulting her mother. Wow, that's pretty heavy. I don't I don't think I knew that I knew about sexual assault but I don't think I actually knew that rumor and you know every family has like some kind of dirty little secret yeah like that the mailman's kid right Um, this one is not there's no humor in that no this is like an absolutely horrible accusation and the fact that it was kind of accepted to be true kind of speaks volumes for the severity of this abuse that was encountered in this family. Like, clearly this family had issues. I mean, how many people just felled both of these kids? Like, this is a rumor you're hearing in town and you're not doing anything about Uh, this? Look, we're going to get into, like, how awful this community was to her, like, very soon. And it just enrages me as as a person as a mother like it is just it makes my blood boil (laughs) (laughs) we'll get ready because you're going to be boiling here in a second got my rage (laughs) pants on 
Eileen began trading her body for cigarettes, food, and drugs at the age of 11. 11. My daughter is 11. She's 11 a child. She's a child. <laughs> I can't. Ugh. That's too young. That's any so age is young. too young. Any yeah, any age is too, too young. young. Yeah, it but really... 11 is just, just so young. You just, yeah. You can't, I couldn't imagine even understanding what's happening to me. Mm -mm. There are several allegations that she became sexually involved with her brother. Following one incident of abuse at the hands of her grandfather's friend, Eileen became pregnant at the age of 14. So her mom was pregnant at 14. Yeah. Pregnant at 14. Mm -hmm. All due to her grandfather's, supposedly to her grandfather's abuse right. or facilitation of abuse by his friends so it could have ugh. yeah oof this is terrible it just gets worse it does like i she just she didn't stand a chance no. and i'm not sympathizing with like somebody who took the lives of several people but it's hard not to sympathize with the fact that she was an abused child yeah, no. The child Eileen I don't I don't know how you how you would expect anyone to grow from normally. This. Yeah. Yeah, you just without like intense therapy, which No, yeah. isn't which available. Which she didn't have like anybody wanted to try yeah. and give her. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, she became pregnant. Uh the child was given up for adoption, which might be the only saving grace in this story. Yeah. Uh, that 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 particular cycle would not be continued with that child. Mm -hmm. um, so that's awesome. And at least. <laughs> yeah. Shortly after the birth of her son, her grandmother passed away from liver failure. This was the final straw for her grandfather. And he kicked the then 15 year old Eileen out of the house. This is when Eileen began living the lifestyle that would lead her down the path to murder. I, because of the self-inflicted alcoholism, you know, liver failure is a complication of that. You're now blaming these children that you legally adopted and promised you would take care of. Not only have you done the complete opposite of that, but now you've completely removed one of them from your home. Yes. Ugh. The one that you were abusing, like... I'm not saying that anything makes anything okay. Don't get me wrong. Like you can't no. trade room and board for abusing somebody. But no. No, at no, the no. very least, like maybe not kick her out. You've already stolen her innocence in her entire you life. Have, Let's yeah. give her a place to live. Exactly. Like, exactly. Ugh. Uh, 15-year-old Eileen began living in the woods near her neighborhood and became a prostitute to support herself. Mind you, she lives in Michigan. <laughs> Michigan in the woods. I I don't go in the woods at all. Uh, <laughs> it's cold. It it's is cold. freezing. Bugs. No, you know there's so, bugs. Ugh. Yes, yes. I am in <laughs> Bug Central, um, but Michigan. So I have an ex sister in law that lives in Michigan, and it like I'm like no, mm -mm. that's thank no thanks. <laughs> I love the cold, but that's. That's that's a lot. I don't love the cold at all. And I don't love the woods either. So this, all of it, it sounds like hell. It sounds like hell in person. I mean, it was. Like, <laughs> I mean, for her, it probably was. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you're 15 years old. How do, yeah. 
Yeah. At 15, I couldn't, I don't, I mean, I don't, I can't light a fire now. I don't know why I said at 15, I couldn't light a fire now <laughs> if you threw me in the woods by myself. Without a I mesh. love, <laughs> I love naked and afraid, but like, I'm not, you're not going to. You're not going to light a fire. There. <laughs> I can't light a fire to save my life. I would freeze and die. The end of the story would have been here. <laughs> oh, God. But yeah, so she's living in the woods. Um, so that's pretty awful and cold and cold and cold. So I guess maybe not bugs. Again, yeah. If it's, if it's winter, I mean, yeah. No bugs, just like maybe frostbite, missing like toes, freezing. you know, yeah. the normal stuff that fifteen-year-olds have to deal with. Yeah. Uh, good character building. Um, Eileen would often solicit the young men in the neighborhood. Many would engage, but would keep her a secret, and she was seen as an unfavorable person. None wanted to admit they were with her and would bully her if she came around. That like, is how awful. Terrible. But terrible. you know what? Let's not pretend like those dudes in high school who were slinging it around for everybody they would sleep with one person and be like she's a whore man i heard she's a whore oh absolutely like so absolutely so obviously teenage boys have just never changed they've been the same for generations that's so normal like i hate to say that but it's just it was so normal growing up i remember Mm -hmm. like making fun of girls with my guy friends because I was terrible at a pick me when I was younger. Yeah. yeah. No. Um, so, awful. so they've just been genuinely terrible for the last like five decades. Oh yeah. The adults, <laughs> the children, yeah. like pretty much everybody around her felt her like, yeah, you know, and you know that, you know, that if these boys are saying, you know, this stuff, it is because it was already said by somebody else. Oh, absolutely. hate is learned. And like that kind of stuff. I, you know, you know, there's gossipy moms. Yeah. Someone said something, and this came from up top. In 1976, Eileen hitchhiked her way from Michigan to Florida, where she met Louis Grotz Fell. Louis was a 69 year old yacht club president, and Eileen saw this as her way out. They married extremely quickly, and the marriage was short lived as Eileen had reoccurring alcohol problems and anger issues. In one incident, Eileen struck Lewis in the head with his own cane. It's giving up. It's giving Carl hitting the man with a cane. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> uh, this incident resulted in a restraining order against Eileen with an annulment to follow after only nine weeks of marriage. Nine weeks. So um, two months and a week. That's not even a first trimester. That no, that's who life did not improve. In 1976, Eileen's brother Keith died of esophageal cancer on July 17th, and many believe that this was the turning point for Eileen's mental health. Eileen had also been arrested on charges of armed robbery, DUI, auto theft, and check forgery. She returned to the life of a drifter in 1980. I don't, I feel like if I lost one of my brothers, it would definitely be a turning point for my mental health. Yeah. How do you recover? I mean, any relative that you're close to like that, especially in a house where they suffered so much abuse together, there's a trauma bond there. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So, so how do you, I mean, any normal healthy person has a hard time recovering from the loss of a sibling, let alone somebody who's obviously already in mental crisis 
Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how you get over that. I really don't. And I, again, not justifying what's about to take place, but I can see how that would really, I mean, you know, sometimes the only good thing you have in life, and it sounds like the only love she ever had that might have been actual like familial love was her brother. Yeah. Anything that happened between them was forced abuse. It was never, you know, so yeah, I couldn't imagine. I could definitely see that taking a toll on her. Eileen claims all of her victims were killed in self-defense after she picked them up as Johns. All of her victims had been shot and all of her victims were male. That is, they were assigned male at birth. They were mm -hmm. men. Yes. Um, there are no women. Uh, they were all shot. And she does claim that they were all Johns. That, I think, is the big thing that's up for debate there. Um, yes. But uh, yeah. they were all shot and they were all men. Eileen met her first victim, Richard Charles Mallory, on November 30th, 1989. He picked up Eileen for favors and drove her to a wooded area. Eileen then claims that Mallory, a convicted rapist, took the opportunity to sodomize and beat her. Her description of the events includes the infamous eye drops defense, um, which pretty terrible. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Horrible. Sounds like, um, so she said that there was rubbing alcohol inside of a bottle of Visine. Um, and he was dropping them like in her eyes, right? Her wounds. Her yeah. Her, her wounds. He stuck it up her nose and squeezed it as it kind of like a, almost like a nasal rinse when you, you know, shoot water up your nose. It was, that's how she realized that it was rubbing alcohol. And then he proceeded to place it in other cavities where there was obvious tearing based on what he had done to her. As kind of a way to uh, <clears throat> cover his traces, you know, cover his footsteps. Um, that sounds awful. I don't, that sounds awful. Uh, mm -hmm. I can't, that's awful. I don't, yeah, ouch. Something that a human should never do to another human no. or living being. No. As he was getting ready to attack her again, she pulled a pistol from her bag, fired several shots, and then dumped his body in a wooded area and abandoned his vehicle several miles away from the body. David Andrew Spears was Eileen's second victim, and he was declared missing May 19, 1990. His nude body was found June 1, 1990, on the side of US-19. I mean, that's a couple of weeks in florida i just us 19 is not a non-traveled road so that's a long time for a body to be out there and no one notice it i mean it's florida florida man maybe people just thought it was someone someone sunbathing. crazy yeah they're just like oh there's another florida man sunbathing that's a good point, actually. <laughs> I, but seriously, when things like this pop up, I'm always like, how did you not see it? And it also, again, here's another new fear. So now we have water. Don't fall in water. Don't mm -hmm. look on the sides of highways. I literally, I think that when I take big road trips. Yeah. 
that's already in my head. I yeah. literally, even driving home, I'm like, because where I live, there's a lot of drainage ditches, like ease drainage canals along yeah. the side of the road. And I'm like, oh my God, there's going to be a body, a body, a body. Like, I, I, that's just a neuroses that I already have. Yeah. So <laughs> I've been... I, don't look, I don't look in like ravines, anything like that. I'm not looking down into it. I don't want to, I don't want to check it out. Like you don't want to be that one. I'm walking yeah. back inside. I, I fool. Yeah. Nope. It's a no. It's Goodbye. a no for me, dog. It's what? a full Randy Jackson. Yeah. It's a no for me, dog. <laughs> Charles Edward Carskaden's body was discovered June 6th, 1990. His body had been wrapped in an electric blanket and was badly decomposing. Many witnesses claim to have seen Eileen driving Carskaden's car. And it was also discovered that Eileen had pawned a gun later determined to have belonged to him officially making her a person of interest. Peter Sims, her next victim, was a devoted Christian who spent most of his free time in his outreach ministry. According to Sims' family, he was leaving Florida on a road trip to Arkansas in June. His car was found abandoned on July 4, 1990. Several witnesses came forward and identified Warnos and her partner, Tyra Moore, as the two individuals that abandoned the vehicle. Later, a palm print on the inside door handle was traced back to Eileen. Unfortunately, the body of Peter was never found. This is the one where I have a hard time with self-defense. Because not that devoted Christians can't be bad people they can anybody can be a bad person but by all accounts this man i mean it was an outreach ministry so he was one of the christians that does it like they're supposed to um you know no judgment trying to help fellow man as often as they could so i have a hard time believing that he was a john that attacked her yeah. This is the one where I'm like, uh, Eileen, I, I can't, I don't think so. And with her upbringing, I like, I have a hard time believing that she didn't almost hallucinate sometimes or misread a sign, immediately become triggered. Like, mm -hmm. again, not justifying any of the things that she's done, but the abuse that she suffered had had long lasting effects we can see it there mm -hmm. is just no way it didn't no way right. um right. and the her first victim richard you know a convicted rapist i believe her story i believe yeah. she was sodomized i believe he beat her and you too i don't after that like how are you not scared of every single man and this is your job right yeah. You're a sex worker. This is your job. This is how you put food on the table. This is the only thing she knew. This is how she was taught and how she was taught to value herself too. This is what yeah. she found value in within herself. So it mm -hmm. just sucks that these two people met. It almost seems like I wish he didn't pick up this hitchhiker. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, we don't know. He could have, yeah, but I don't, absolutely. I don't think he did. I, and like you said, it's, highly possible that she misread something that may have been said or maybe he made a sudden movement and it it scared her and she took that based on her past 
history of abuse as something aggressive and you know unfortunately unfortunately he lost his life there are several months between the first murder the first victim Mm -hmm. and the second Mm -hmm. it's Mm -hmm. almost like a trigger happened yeah and then and then we're going just one right after the other one right after the other um so i don't know and that's kind of where I believe the first two really did attack her. And it's possible that, you know, third, fourth, fifth one, they, it's, po- it's possible they all did. But that's like you're saying where it's a big space and then all of a sudden back to back to back to back. It feels like there really were some attacks that required self-defense and then it just spiraled. It feels like a trauma response. Exactly. It's like mania. Just a just a down roll, a down roll, a downward spiral. Uh, I don't know what a down whirl is. Troy Burris was reported missing on July 31st, 1990. His body was found in a semi-wooded area of State Road 19 on August 4th, 1990. Charles Richard Dick Humphrey was a retired Air Force major and former child abuse investigator. His body was found fully clothed and shot six times in the head and torso. His car was found in North Florida, some 97 plus miles away in Suwannee County. Walter Antonio's nearly naked body was found on a remote logging road on November 19, 1990, and his vehicle was located five days later. Again, one right after the other. These are just like... Eileen was caught by her fingerprints being pulled from the victim's vehicle and property she had pawned. Due to her previous arrest, her fingerprints were already in the Florida database. Her description was also given after abandoning her vehicle after an accident in which she was driving Sim's car, Peter's car. Yeah. Which... You... What like you hit somebody, you're in an accident, and you just up and leave. You don't think that person's gonna remember exactly what you look like? Yeah, I would have tried to pay him off. I or been like, hey, you know, I'm really sorry. I, I you know anything, anything, anything. Ugh, especially if I had killed this many people at this I would point. have yelled like a false alias, you know? Yeah. My name oh. is Anybody oh, else's I don't, name? Yeah, I don't <laughs> have my license with me right now. You know, I blah blah blah. I, not that we're giving tips on how to get away with this, but no, you know, no. come on. But if ever you were in the situation, think smarter. Yeah. And in that accident, uh, she did have her girlfriend with her, which is a uh, Tyra Moore, and they had been together pretty much through this whole event um, or events. She was. Uh, Eileen's partner through this whole time and finally after pulling her fingerprints and getting her description they go and arrest Eileen and Tyra knew of all the killings but Eileen had told her that they were all self-defense and Tyra believed her until the police officers convinced her that she needed to record phone calls Moore was instructed to call Eileen in jail until she admitted to her crimes. She made 11 calls in total and frantically claimed to be terrified of being charged for the murders herself. When Eileen asked if she was being recorded, Tyra said no. You're innocent, Eileen told her over the phone. 
I'm not going to let you go to jail. Listen, if I have to confess, I will. And that makes me suspicious that maybe Tyra helped more than she let on. That maybe so, she knew more than she let on. Well, she did because she helped dump a few of the cars. So she knew 100% that Eileen had killed these people. She helped cover it up. She's stuck in a rock and a hard place because she knows what she's done is wrong. But she truly believes Eileen in telling her that they were self-defense. So what do you do? Do you help your yeah. lover? I'm sorry if it were you, I would help you. I'd, I'd help you dump a car. I think I'd help you dump a car too. I don't think I'd ask questions though. Because you know. You just, yeah, you just do it. Yeah. And so now here But also, is. I don't think I'd flip. I would not flip flop on you. <laughs> if I no would, one talks, we're fine. <laughs> I would marry you and I'd be like, try to get me to testify now. Exactly. Because that's legal and we could do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Great old U.S. of A. Uh, well, now, speaking of the U.S. of A, we are going to talk about one of the most notorious assholes of all time, Jeb Bush. So at this time that all of this was going on, Jeb Bush was the governor of Florida. And he had placed a stay on the execution of Eileen. So fast forward, if you didn't know. Eileen ends up being convicted. She pleads no contest to the murders and is found guilty and sentenced to death by lethal injection. So Jeb Bush ends up placing a temporary stay of execution. Well, surprise, uh, they find that she is competent, which, okay. Uh, and he lifts his stay of execution and says, quote, as a result of the finding of competency, I have lifted the stay for the death row inmate Eileen Warnos. Eileen was sentenced to be executed on October 9th, which provided the families of her victims the justice they have so long awaited. And then goes on to say, my thoughts and prayers are with those who have suffered because of her crimes, because thoughts and prayers do such good work. Right. Thoughts and oh, prayers. So much. Oh. Well, wouldn't you know it brought my dad back? Oh man. Here Thanks, we are. Deb. Changing the Thank world. Thank you. I love you. You're the best. Jeb Bush is a fucking asshole. Eileen is adamant that she was framed and she was a victim in every scenario. Um, it actually comes out later that a lot of the police that were involved in Eileen's case sold her stories for profit. Ugh. And some of them did resign. I know there was like a mass resignation after that, but come on. You took an oath. Stop being terrible. If you were going to take the money, if you were going to take the money and you felt bad about it, you should have just donated that money to any domestic violence shelter anywhere to any so, <laughs> like so that's their claim actually if you didn't know that is actually the Ooh. claim of the police officers who resigned that's the claim they made they said that they acted in good faith and that their intention of selling the story for profit was so they could create a foundation for victims for the victims families and it never happened yeah no i don't you know it's a it's a hard it's a rough again rough a rough story because Eileen is not only the perpetrator in this story but she's also the victim which is mm -hmm. so weird you know you don't always get both um mm -hmm. and they exploited so many people they exploited the families they exploited mm -hmm. young Eileen uh they ex 
and they also like yeah they took an oath that's like the big first thing it's like the yeah. one part of their job they're not supposed to do it's like right hippo with like a doctor <laughs> you're also not supposed to sell case information well you know well cases are still going on and while people yeah. are still being found competent or not God. it's just bad you know not good it's kind of frowned upon in society a little bit just a little bit might get a slap on the wrist yeah so after everything eileen did come forward and change her story um she said that it wasn't self-defense uh that she was admitting that she is insane and she needs to be killed she then recants and says uh, that a few of them were self-defense, but a couple were also for money, um, which in all honesty, I feel like that is the most truthful statement. Yeah, I feel like that's said. Yeah, I feel like that's the most truthful she's been. I feel like the closer she got to execution, like the more truth came out. Uh, and then, yeah, and she's quoted to say, I killed those men, robbed them cold as ice, and I do it again, too. There's no chance in keeping me alive or anything because I'd kill again. I have hate crawling through my system and I am so sick of hearing this she's crazy stuff. I've been evaluated so many times. I'm competent, sane, and I'm trying to tell the truth. I'm the one who seriously hates human life and would kill again. Which sounds like somebody who has is aware that they have severe mental health issues and is in a moment of clarity. It's that's a very daunting thing to hear somebody say. Um, and throughout this, she's having um, there's a documentary that's being filmed called Selling of a Serial Killer by Nick Broomfield. And he's recording her through most of this. And the final words that she provides him on camera before her execution is, quote, thanks a lot, society, for railroading my ass. She is executed on October 9th, 2002 by lethal injection. And her famous last words are just as bizarre as she was. The quote is, I'd like to just say I'm sailing with the rock and I'll be back like Independence Day with Jesus, June 6th, like the movie, big mothership and all, I'll be back. <sighs> Okay, and then she says stuff like that, and I'm like, this woman's absolutely insane. Out it's of bad her mind. Shit. There's yes. no way. Like, and you know, I don't... <laughs> um, who's... None of us will ever know. No. If she's... If if she truly was. Yeah, there is some sort of mental health issue that's present, but it, it, what it is and how severe it is, I don't know, nor will we ever know. All I know is that this story is roller coaster and every time i hear it, it it is no less shocking than the time before no, yeah no and i always i always find something new out every time i don't think my brain can absorb everything every time i hear it because it is so much and so like there's every so time much. i hear her story i take away a different point because yeah like i said there's just so much it's so much abuse so many times that society railroaded her like yeah and and she killed a ton of innocent people and maybe a couple that weren't yeah and and again we'll never know we won't it's all speculation now all speculation and then you know decades later you have 
people like us talking about it for everyone to hear. And uh, there's just, no matter how many times this is covered, like you said, there's something that people learn. I mean, everybody has either seen the movie or heard about this person because she's so infamous and a female, but the whole story, man, it's a wild one. It it really is. Takes you on quite a ride. Well, that's it for this week. And, uh, Des and I are actually going to take a well-deserved break. You know, it's that, it's that third episode break. Um, but no, it's just that time of year. We've got traveling to do. It's the holidays. You know, we've got kids that are out of school. we got stuff to do. And so we're going to take a little break. Yeah, just, just for the rest of the holiday season. And we'll come back recharged and ready to destroy your mornings, your evenings, and whenever you listen to us, uh, we'll come back refreshed and vibrant and ready to talk about terrible things. Yeah. Ready to just give you anxiety. (laughs) Good holiday, Christmas, Kwanzaa, Hanukkah, Hanukkah, Yule. Yule. Mm-hmm. New Year. New Year. I forgot oh, about that. Oh, yeah. yeah. New Year. Save me. I'm not changing a bit. You're nope. welcome. Save me. I'm just as cool as I was this year. Oh, I might be a little older. Oh, yeah. Next year. Oh, no. My birthday's in like a month. I know. That sounds terrible. It's your birthday. <laughs> <laughs> it's your birthday. Then, then baby boy's birthday. And then my birthday. Yep. And this is all like directly after Christmas. Yep. So I'm yep. just, I am also being railroaded by society right now. I didn't ask to be born. No. <laughs> Thank Everybody you everyone for listening. Holidays. Yes. Have a wonderful holiday. We'll be back all with of you them. in 2024. Yeah. New year, old us. Yes. New year, <laughs> even worse us. Yes. Weirder, sexier, louder, stronger, hopefully richer, but probably not because we live more chaotic. <laughs> <laughs> and just like overall, like your worst nightmares come to fruition. In audio form. In audio. <laughs> Possibly um, visual one day. One day. Depends if I'm it's on YouTube. I you know, I'm just gonna put in the gif of Professor Coral running into the Great Hall saying, Troll in the dungeon. <laughs> this podcast is researched, edited, produced, and recorded by Megan and Dez. That's right, we do all this shit.